Hello, I'm Joe Honey Hockey, and I welcome you to the Heavenly Social, where I seek to introduce you to our heavenly brothers and sisters. Heaven is such a curious place. We can't really comprehend it, yet there's a yearning in our hearts to seek it out. Well, we're very fortunate to have been given guidance by God himself in the person of Jesus. But even so, we're left to make a decision to follow said guidance. After all, we're also being constantly courted by Satan. Now, the way I see it, the choice is thus. How are we going to respond to this call to the ultimate adventure? Are we going to do everything we can to take that next step on the road despite the obstacles? Or are we going to forego the call and do all we can to remain in comfort and complacency? I love picturing the interaction of Gandalf and Bilbo here from the Hobbit book, where Gandalf calls on Bilbo to tackle an adventure beyond his understanding, but Bilbo tries his darndest to resist and remain in his comfortable hobbit hole. Ah, you know the story. So, so I ask you, do you find yourself afraid of the unknown that lies ahead? Do you seek help invigorating your sense of adventure toward heaven? Then might I introduce you to Saint Helena? Intro. To begin this introduction, let me start with a couple quick saint facts. Her feast day is August 18th, and she is the patron saint of empresses, converts, difficult marriages, divorced people, new discoveries, and archaeologists. So she's a kind of like a saintly Indiana Jones, who, instead of being a college professor, was empress of the Roman Empire. And instead of finding the Ark of the Covenant, she found Jesus' cross. Speaking of all this, let's get into her story. Now, we don't really know where Helena was born, or even exactly when she was born. Though it's believed she was born around the years 246 to 248. And thanks to a 6th century historian named Procopius, there is a tradition that a village in Asia Minor, or Turkey, named Drapanum was her birthplace. The reason being, her son renamed the town Helenopolis. But beyond this, there's nothing to really prove that that was indeed her birthplace. Well, along with the mystery surrounding her birthplace, we also don't really know much of anything regarding her life before her husband. What we are sure of, though, is that she was no noble. St. Ambrose refers to her as having been a stable maid. Well, that's certainly not a glorifying position. But as fate would have it, she encountered her would-be husband there. His name was Constantius Chlorus. And from what I've managed to gather, during these years they resided around East Europe and Asia Minor. Now, I can't really find any thing like super concrete, uh, except for when they were living in Nyasus, uh, which is now known as Nis and is in modern-day Serbia. It was in this city that on February 27th, in some year between 270 and 280, that Helena bore a son, Constantine. 
That name sound familiar? Well, it should. The guy kind of legalized Christianity in the Roman Empire. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Anyways, the following years must have been pretty difficult for Helena, as her husband Constantius was singularly motivated by political gain. So much so that in the year 289, Constantius divorced Helena to marry a Roman noble-born woman named Theodora. This was a strategic marriage that eventually saw Constantius become Caesar in the year 293. Now, this would have certainly been a difficult time for Helena, as there's no way her former husband would have associated with her. She was also lowborn, so she held no real power of her own. And I also read that it could have been very likely that she was kept from her son during this time period. At least the, the time period where Constantius uh, had divorced her. Now, keep in mind that at this time, Constantine would have been approximately 21 years old, if we're going by the most common date of his birth, which is 272. So, even if they had been separated due to his father's political exploits, he and Helena would certainly have had a solid relationship by this point. And how can we figure this? How can we support this? Well, Constantius Chlorus grew ill and died in the year 306, after having been appointed Augustus the year prior. Alright, now for a quick aside. At this point in Roman history, there was a tetrarchy, meaning that there were effectively four rulers. Two were the emperors, Augustus, and two were junior emperors, Caesar. Now, each ruler had total authority over different regions of the empire. And as noted before, Constantius was one of these Caesars. Well, in the year 305, Augustus Maximian passed on his title to Constantius. And this brings us back to the year 306, where Constantius declared his support for his son Constantine to be made Augustus before he died. Now, I think I should also clarify something that, uh, like, an Augustus declaring his support for somebody else didn't explicitly mean that that person would get the title. It was necessary for the military to kind of support that decision. Alright, so kind of because of this, Constantine didn't receive that rank immediately because there was some political tension. But this isn't a story about him. So, Constantine eventually did get the title of Augustus. And with this new power as the emperor, he brought his mother back into the fold of the Roman courts. She was once again reunited with her son. And it was in the following years that major strides were made for Christianity, as Constantine seemed to be pretty inspired by the religion, to the point that he declared himself a Christian. Now, it was during this time at 313 that uh, the Edict of Milan, which officially legalized Christianity. So, there you go. Now, all of this was a pretty big deal, as in the Roman pagan religion, he, as emperor, bore the title of Pontifex Maximus, meaning, basically, that he was the most important person. If 
not one of the most important people. And so to renounce that goes to show that he genuinely believed in Christianity. There really wasn't a political gain to doing this, to renouncing that title. So who else converted to Christianity at this time? Our dear St. Helena. According to the account by Eusebius of Caesarea, who was a bishop at the time and friend of Constantine's, Helena converted to Christianity around the year 312. She would have been around 64 years old. So I guess that goes to show that it's never too late to turn your heart towards Christ. Anyways, around the year 324 to 325, Constantine effectively solidified his rule, and upon doing so, he granted Helena the title of Augusta, so she became the empress. This gave her unlimited access to Roman resources, which is a good thing to have if you want to go on a journey. In 326 to around 327, that's exactly what she did. At nearly 80 years old, Helena undertook the journey to the Holy Land in search of relics and to establish churches on holy sites. During her pilgrimage and excavations, she uncovered many relics, one of which being the true cross. The story goes that during excavation of the sites around where Jesus had been crucified, three crosses were found. Believing them to be the crosses of Jesus and the two thieves, Helena was left trying to figure out which belonged to Christ. She was struck with divine inspiration. She sent for someone ill, and a sick woman was brought forth. This woman was so sick that she was on the verge of death. Helena had the woman's hand placed on the first cross. Well, nothing. Then the second cross. Also nothing. Finally, when the sick woman's hand rested on the final cross, she was found miraculously cured. Helena then declared that to be the true cross that Jesus had died on. With it, she also found pieces of the nails that pierced Christ's body, as well as other relics. It was at the site of this discovery that the Church of the Holy Sepulchre was first built, and in fact, that church has a chapel currently this day within it dedicated to St. Helena and the finding of the cross. Among the other churches she established there, she had one built on the Mount of Olives, where Christ prayed in agony the night before his crucifixion. Afterward, she returned to Rome, where her palace there was converted to the Basilica of the Holy Cross in Jerusalem, which still exists today. She died around the year 329-330, and was buried in a mausoleum near St. Peter's Basilica, which, fun fact, was originally commissioned by Constantine around 319. The mausoleum itself still stands today, and her sarcophagus with it. Well, there you go. The story of St. Helena. Now, she was another saint that was recommended to me. She was a saint I had heard of before in school, but didn't really know anything beyond her being the mother of Constantine. That is, until my good friend Sidney told me I should do an episode on Helena. And I'm so incredibly grateful for that, but I'll expand on why more here in a minute. Firstly, 
Saint Helena is Miss Sydney's confirmation saint. And so I asked her if she could elaborate a little bit more on her relationship with this saintly woman. Here's what she had to say. Quote, Saint Helena has always been a woman my heart desired to know deeper. When I chose her as my confirmation saint, I wasn't 100% sure why I chose her or what she was all about. As I have grown up, I've come to realize she was an incredibly bold, noble, holy woman who was not afraid to do the will of the Father. I consistently ask for her intercession to make me a bold Catholic woman. She has truly been there, giving me confidence since day one. End quote. That's so excellent. Thank you, Sydney, for that testimony showing us what a friendship with a saint can do for us, and for showing us that the saints are eager to see us with them in heaven, that our friendships with them are as vibrant and dynamic, or even more so, as our earthly ones, and that sometimes our saintly friends even choose us. Okay, now... Sydney beat me to identifying the virtue I think Helena exemplified, that being her boldness, or fortitude if you'd like to identify it as one of the cardinal virtues. You see, fortitude, aka courage, is the virtue that we exhibit when we refuse to succumb to all the pain and darkness the world throws at us. It works in conjunction with faith and hope driving us to pursue what our hearts are crying out for, which is God. I'm sure you've heard it said that courage isn't the lack of fear, but the overcoming of it, or some variation of that. As I mentioned before, there was little to no political gain for Constantine to convert to Christianity, let alone Helena. On the heels of intense persecution, it surely would have taken a lot of courage even for an empress to profess her belief that Jesus was God. And Helena took it even further. I can't get over that at 80 years old, she wanted to personally visit the Holy Land with the intent to search for relics. She yearned to draw herself to Jesus and yearned to bring him closer to all believers. She was empress, and easily could have just left the task to others. She is an extraordinary example of gleefully taking up the adventure of seeking Christ. And this is where my mind goes to The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, and specifically a song found there called uh, The Road Goes Ever On. And I want to quote a verse from a rendition of this performed in a musical. Quote, Just beyond the far horizon lies a waiting world unknown. Like the dawn its beauty beckons with a wonder all its own. End quote. What I love about this verse, what I adore about Helena's venturing to the Holy Land and finding the cross of Jesus, what I love about all of the saints' stories is that they all highlight that pursuing God is an adventure that will never cease. We are all called to this adventure, and 
each of us get to encounter a unique beauty as we all venture down our own paths, laid forth by God himself. Some paths may coincide with others, and other times our paths diverge. The thrill of the adventure isn't in the fellowship, but the destination. We are all seeking God, and by boldly going forth with gleeful anticipation of that beauty just over that horizon, we can become beacons for our fellow travelers. Christ's light can shine through us like it did St. Helena, lighting their way until we reach our journey's end. Before I go, let me offer you a prayer to St. Helena, as fellowship makes the quest so much easier. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. St. Helena, you whose heart never ceased in love and devotion to Christ, you whose boldness in adventure yielded the cross of our Lord, Intercede on our behalf, that with your help and God's grace, we may have the strength and courage to always follow the will of God, so that at the end of our earthly journey, we may bask in his splendor. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That does it for this episode. Have courage in the faith. And one day someone might just tell your story. See you next time. Outro. She was a saint I had heard before in school, but didn't really know anything beyond... Oh boy. I feel like switching gears a little bit here. Perhaps, maybe a North American saint. Hmm. Yes. Let's talk about a lady who's a little bit close to home. See ya.